The following is a presentation of Broadway Church in Vancouver, British Columbia. For additional media, visit broadwaychurch.com. In the town of uh, Borja, Spain, in this, in this little kind of like remote little town, there's this small little church called the Sanctuary of Mercy. Now in this church is a very famous fresco painting of Jesus named Isio Homo. This means behold the man. Uh, maybe you've seen this painting before. Um, this painting has people from all over the world to come visit this painting. About 6,000 tourists a year come and visit Behold the Man. Now, this painting was done about 130 years ago. It's really old. And it was done originally by an artist named um, Elias Garcia Martinez. But back in 2012, this painting was in need of restoration. Uh, because of the humidity, it started to, to deteriorate over time. As you can see, the painting needed a little love, so to speak. And so uh, there was a lady that attended the church, uh, the Sanctuary of Mercy. Uh, she was 80 years old. Her name was uh, Cecilia Jimenez. And uh, she volunteered to restore this painting back to its original glory. And uh, this is how it turned out. <laughs> Maybe you remember seeing this in the news. The art world was outraged that this painting, this famous painting, had been ruined. And now it turns out that uh, Cecilia Jimenez had zero experience in restoration. And it turns out that her, like, she wasn't an artist even herself at all. Now the painting today, uh, it still looks like this, and it is way more famous today than it ever was before when it looked like this. Last year alone, the visitors went from 6,000 to 60,000, like times 10 the amount of visitors to see this painting now because of all of the media attention and uh, craziness that's gone on. Now, you see, before Cecilia Jimenez restored the painting, the town where the painting lives in, or the, t the, 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 the I guess the painting doesn't live in a town, but the town where the painting was, was in an economic downturn. She set out to restore a famous painting, but she accidentally brought restoration to the economy of her own town through all the newfound tourist activity. See, overnight she became a villain to the art world, yet a hero amongst her own townspeople. See, when it comes to restoring something precious to you, where do you turn? When it comes to restoring something in your life, maybe your personal life or perhaps your spiritual life, who do you trust? Right now, we are in week five of a series all about the restorative power of God. We've called it the healing hotspot. And we're, we're, we're finding out where is the best relational zone that we can be in where we have full access to God the Father. Now, so far in this series, we've learned that everything we need to know about the healing hotspot, this awesome relational zone, we can find in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. 
See, week by week, we've been unpacking this passage of scripture to discover how we can best fit in this relational zone, this healing hotspot, where God can bring us to complete restoration. Okay, so so far in this series, what we've done, we've unpacked just kind of the first sentence, okay? We've unpacked so far, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. So as we've been unpacking this, so far we've discovered that we are declared sons and daughters of God. We are his people. We've been called by his name. And this actually gives us full access to God's restorative power, to the healing hotspot. And the key truth that we've learned in this is this. You ready? We actually play a part. We're not just mindless robots that God just kind of controls like, like he's a puppet master and we're just puppets. See, we play a part. We've learned that we are as close to God as we want to be, that we play a role in this relationship. Now, we've also discovered that, that humility is the key. Humility is actually what grants us access to the healing hotspot. Think of it as like an access card to your apartment building or to your work office, I guess. You go beep, and you, get, you hit your access card, and, and it lets you in the door. See, humility is our access card. Humility is what gets us entrance into the healing hotspot. And then we discovered that prayer is the language of the healing hotspot. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray. Okay, that brings us to today. The next part of this verse, it says, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Today, we're talking about seeking God's face. So what does it mean to seek God's face? Is this just like Christian mumbo jumbo that we don't really understand what it means, but we say it because it sounds good? What does it mean to seek God's face? Now, as your outline says, when we seek God's face, we are seeking God's presence for the purpose of transformation. When we seek God's face, we are seeking God's presence for the purpose of transformation. See, we, we seek to be transformed into his likeness, into his image. Now, if you're sitting here and you're like, this is a little confusing, Simon, because when God says, seek my face, technically, God doesn't have a face, okay? So if this is a little bit like weird to you, that's okay, because you're right. God doesn't have a face. Now, when the Bible refers to attributes or characteristics about God um, with like human traits, this is called anthropomorphism. Okay, now everyone say anthropomorphism. Anthropomorphism. Yeah, that sounded great. You guys all could be Bible theologians. Anthropomorphism. Okay, so this is the idea of giving like human characteristics or human traits to God. And the Bible does this time and time again so that we can better understand God's nature and God's character. Let me show you a few examples. This will be really familiar to you. You'll be like, oh yeah, I've heard stuff like that all the time. Isaiah 59 says, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. Psalm 34 says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, for he is, uh, his ears are attentive to their cry. You see, God doesn't have an arm. He doesn't have ears, he has no eyes, and he doesn't have a face. Because God is spirit. But the, uh, but the, the authors, uh, uh, writers of, of scripture and the Bible and God himself, he's trying to describe himself to us in a way that we would understand his nature and his character better. 
You see, so when the Bible calls us to seek God's face, what it's saying is we need to seek God's presence for the purpose of transformation. And if you're a follower of Christ here, you'll know that there is something really transformative about the presence of God. You'll, you'll have experienced this in your own life before. See, and if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Christ, you're like, Simon, I don't know about seeking God's face because I, I don't know if I want to be transformed. I kind of like me the way I am. What do I want to be transformed for? See, but when God brings transformation into your life, he transforms you into your best possible you. Right? He transforms you into God's design for your life. The best possible you you can be. That's the transformation that God brings into our life. Now, the Bible continually tells us to actually seek God's presence, to seek God's face. In Psalm 105, it says, look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Isaiah 55 says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Okay, so that's what the Bible has to say. That's back in Bible times, right? But what about today? Can we actually seek God today? And if we seek him, can we actually find him today? The theologian John Piper, he says, the great promise to those who seek the Lord is that he will be found. Second Chronicles 15.2 agrees. It says, if you seek him, he will be found by you. See, if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Christ, if this whole Jesus thing is new to you, please just tractor beam in on this. this. This next statement may change your life forever. Are you ready? God is not hiding from you. Just let it sink in. God is not hiding from you. Maybe you're here today and you're actually seeking God. You're, you're on a journey to try to find who God is and, and, and what he means in your life and, and what he's designed you to do and be. God is not hiding from you. Oftentimes, we, 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 we picture God like we're playing this giant cosmic game of hide and go seek, right? Like we're searching the stars and the atmosphere that God would somehow show his mercy on us and reveal himself to us, to us, to us, to us. But God is not hiding from you. It's not a cosmic game of hide and go seek. It's more like a treasure hunt, okay? But God's given you the map. He's given you directions. He's given you supplies. Everything you need for the journey. Oh, and he'll go with you, <laughs> That's what it's more like, a treasure hunt where God leads us and guides us. He's not hiding from you. If you seek him, he will be found by you. Now, if you grew up in Sunday school or you've been attending Broadway Church for more than a week, uh, you'll realize that, Simon, this truth that you're saying that God can be found by us, it's pretty basic. Like, this is pretty simple. Like, Give me the meat, Simon. Where's the truth? Like, come on, teach me something I don't know already. But I want to just pause here. Please forgive me if this is so simple, but the, the, the foundational truth that God can be found, that, 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 that God can actually be in an intimate relationship with us, this is so pivotal to who we are as followers of Christ. And I'll tell you why. How many people here have ever heard statements at work or in culture or wherever, and, and someone has said the sentiment, something along the lines of this, oh, all religions are pretty much the same. 
Oh, all religions pretty much teach the same thing. Love your neighbor, blah, blah, blah. Uh, 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 all religions lead to God. It's fine. Pick which one, whatever one you want. How many people have heard a sentiment like that before somewhere in their life? Yeah, okay, good. That means you live in culture. Perfect. I, I've heard that a lot too. Perfect. So this is where it becomes such a big deal to us in Christianity. The simple fact that God can be found when we seek him Okay, the simple fact that we can actually know this God intimately, this is a big deal because there's this idea out there in our culture that all religions are pretty much the same. There's this idea in our culture that all the kind of big building blocks of religions are all the same and all the little superficial things around the edges of the religion, uh, those are the differences. Okay, big blocks the same, Small edges of the religion are the differences. But in reality, the reverse is true. You see, the big foundational building blocks of our faith are so, so, so different. It's the superficial little things around the edge that have the similarities. Now, let me explain it this way. Most religions don't even claim that you can truly encounter God. Most religions don't even claim that they eventually even lead to God. This is why it's such a big deal that we can actually uh, seek God and find him, that we can actually know him. Take atheism for an example. Atheism claims, claims it leads to oblivion. Okay, you will die, your friends will die, everyone you know will die, the human race will become extinct, the sun will expand and swallow up the earth, the universe will become a cold, dark, empty, and lonely place. Thanks for being at church this morning. <laughs> Buddhism, Hinduism, uh, this eventually leads to absorption. Like you will be absorbed back into the universe and ultimately it leads to the annihilation of yourself. Take Islam, for example. Islam leads to paradise, yes, but it's paradise without God. See, according to the Quran, this is a paradise where rivers of wine flow. There's beautiful fruit trees. The men are promised these beautiful virgins, but God is very absent from this paradise. But Christianity, on the other hand, leads to everlasting life with God in heaven. See, the Apostle John had this vision of what heaven would be like, and he wrote it down in Revelation chapter 21. He wrote, and I heard a voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne will say, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. As your outline says, the only religion that guarantees an encounter with God is Christianity. The only religion that guarantees a real encounter with God is Christianity. That's why John Piper says, the great promise to those who seek the Lord is that he will be found. That's why it's such a big deal to us, that we can know him, that we can find him, and we can be in an intimate relationship with him. Okay, so if we're gonna find this God when we seek him, how do we go about actually seeking him? If this God can actually be found, 
I want to talk about two ways that we should actually approach God while searching for him, while seeking for him. As your outline says, the first way we should see God is with all of our heart. With all of our heart. See, doing something with all of your heart means focusing your time and your energy and your passion on that task at hand. When we seek God's presence for the purpose of transformation, we need to do it with all of our hearts. See, now this is pretty key. When you do something with all of your heart, you have to make a conscious choice. You have to make a conscious choice. You have to make a deliberate decision that you're actually going to do it. It's really the opposite of mental coasting. It's the opposite of mental coasting. And now, I don't mean to out myself here, okay, but like, have you ever been like driving somewhere and then you arrived and you're like, I don't remember stopping at stop signs or at lights. You just, at, you're at your destination, like you've been thinking about something else. You've mentally coasted through your trip somewhere. I don't know if that's super dangerous or anyone else does that. Have you ever, have you ever just found yourself standing in the kitchen in front of your open fridge and you're like, I'm kind of hungry, but how did I get, what have I, what am I even looking for? Okay, like we do this all the time in our life. We mentally coast through different activities in our life all the time. But seeking God with your whole heart, with all of our heart, it's the opposite of mental coasting. You, you consciously and deliberately need to decide, I'm going to push in, I'm going to do this. As your outline says, we must intentionally turn our face to meet God's face. We must intentionally turn our face to meet God's face. We must deliberately decide to pursue God with our whole heart. See, it's not enough just to be a good person. I know in our culture, oftentimes we think it's good enough just to be a good person. It's good enough just, just to believe that there's a God, but it's not. You see, in many of our lives, God is in, in our peripheral vision, right? He's at the periphery of our life. So we're looking ahead, we're living our life, and God's hanging out over here, and we can see him in our periphery, right? Like, he's here. We're not really facing him, and, but he's, he's, he's hanging out here, and we, we're aware of his presence, and when something bad happens, we, we'll pray to him, but we haven't turned our face to meet his face. We're, we haven't stood eye to eye with him. Have you ever been in a, a crowded room full of people? And you're in this room full of crowded people, and you're not making any eye contact with anybody, but there's a lot of people around you, you know? But you're not really communicating with anyone. You're not really in this, like, intimate eye lock with anybody. You're just kind of around. But then if you walk across the room and you stand face to face with somebody, and they're there, and you're here, and you're making so much eye contact, it almost makes you uncomfortable, you know what I mean? But then you were to say something, and they were to say something back, and you're like, oh, we're communicating. We're standing face to face, nose to nose, eye to eye. This is the relationship that God wants to have with you. He says, get me out of your periphery. I don't want to just be on the sidelines of your life. He says, turn your face to meet my face. Make a, a conscious decision that you want to engage in a, in a real relationship with me, that you'll seek me with all of your heart. Now, many of us here have heard a very famous passage in the book of Jeremiah. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. Now, if I took a show of hands, like many of you could quote this by memory. Some of you have this cross-stitched on a, a throw pillow in your living room, I know. Um, you might have it inscribed in the, in the front of your Bible. Some of you have declared that this verse is your life verse. And every time I get a chance to share this verse on a stage into a microphone, I take that opportunity because uh, God declares a promise over our lives, and it really reveals the nature and character of God. 
Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Let, let that just sink into your life for a second. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Now this is a very famous verse. Many of us know this part of the verse, but it goes on to say, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. See, when we seek God, we have to intentionally do it. We have to deliberately do it with our whole heart. There's something about like getting serious about God. Leaving a kind of a laissez-faire relationship with God behind us and actually pushing in, leaning in to God. Listen to how the message translation puts it in plain English. It says, when you come looking for me, you'll find me. Yes, when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else, I'll make sure you won't be disappointed. God's decree. Today, if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Christ, if you're here and God is just in your periphery and you've never actually turned your face to meet his face before, to intentionally seek his presence, at the end of today's message, I want to simply lead you in a response, a prayer where you you can turn your face towards God's face and accept him as your Lord and your Savior. You can start to gear up for that moment right now. Now, getting serious about God will look different for, for different people, right? If you're not yet a follower of Christ, getting serious about God might just be that, just turning your face towards him, acknowledging that, that he loves you, he's real, and, and that you accept his presence in your life. If you're here and you're already a follower of Christ, maybe, maybe getting serious about seeking God is, is placing your trust in him, believing God for a miracle, something you've been praying for. Maybe it's simply just modeling your life after the life of Jesus Christ to start to live like Jesus lived and start to love like Jesus loved. Okay, let's quickly review before we move on. Today we're learning what it takes to return to or remain in the healing hotspot, this relational zone where you and God can have the best possible connection. Okay, so far we've, we've learned today about seeking God's face. It really means to seek God's presence for the purpose of transformation, And we've learned today that God can actually be found, and this is a big deal to us in our faith because it gives us hope for eternity. We're talking right now about two approaches about how we should see God's face. The first one is we see God's face with all of our heart. And not only do we see God's face with all of our heart, but that leads us to our second approach. It's we need to see God's face with all of our mind, with all of our mind. First Chronicles 22, 19, it says... Now set your mind and heart to seek the Lord your God. Set your mind and heart to seek the Lord your God. Now look at that. They're both in there. Your mind and your heart. It takes not just your heart, but also your mind. See, according to Dr. Norman Wright, he suggests that you and I, we have 45,000 different thoughts a day. 45,000 thoughts a day. Some of us have more, some of us has has less. My wife has definitely more thoughts than I have in a day, okay? Um, But Dr. Norman Wright says two-thirds of those thoughts are either negative or counterproductive. 
That means you and I, we have 31,500 thoughts every day that don't benefit ourselves or others or our relationship with God. Somehow, we need to figure out a way to start to renew our minds, to start to be diligent about how we use our thoughts. Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes this dynamic about renewing our minds. Colossians chapter 3. He says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. He says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. So how do we go about actually to set our minds on things above? How do we go about to seek God with our minds? As your outline says, we must intentionally fill our minds with the things of God. So this is how we're going to do it. We're going to intentionally fill our minds with the things of God. And the Apostle Paul sums it up so easily like this in Philippians chapter 4. He says, summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'd do best, I love that, you'd do best by filling your minds and meditating on things that are true, on things that are noble and reputable, things that are authentic and compelling and gracious. Focus on the things that are the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. He says, put into practice what you've learned from me and what you've heard and saw and realized. Do that, and God, who makes everything work together, will work you into his most excellent harmonies. See, when it comes to seeking God's face, there's no mental coasting involved. We have to deliberately and purposefully do it. We need to do it with our whole heart, our, all of our time and our energy. And we have to start to renew our minds, right? We have to intentionally lean into the things of God, to fill our minds with the things that please God. And if we do that, God will transform our life. If we do that, God will start to transform our life into his likeness, into the best possible version of ourselves. See, God takes the dead areas of your life and he makes it alive. That's cool, right? He takes the broken parts of your life and he starts to mend them and bring restoration into your life. He takes those filthy areas of your life and he just brings his cleansing love into your life. And that brings us to our big idea today. Every week we try to sum up the day's teaching with one simple thought, one idea, and this is it. Transformation can only take place when you and God are face to face. Transformation can only take place when you and God are face to face. You see, when we're face to face with God, you will be transformed. And this is, this is huge. If you haven't heard anything I've said yet, please hear this. God is already facing you. God is already facing you. Would you start to pursue him with your whole heart? Would you start to renew your mind? Would you start to turn your face to face his face and be transformed into the design that he has for you? Transformation can only take place when you and God are face to face. Uh, let me close with this uh, simple story. Uh, every week, 
Uh, our lovely receptionist, her name is Rika. I don't know if you know Rika, but she's amazing. Uh, our receptionist here at, uh, at the church, um, she puts a, a stack of cards on my desk. And these cards are uh, birthday cards. Uh, I don't know if you knew this or if you've ever received a birthday card from Broadway, but, but if you've ever filled out an in-touch card, you're in our database and we send you a card on your birthday. You're welcome. Uh, so hands up if you've ever received a birthday card from Broadway. Hey, look at all you guys. Now everyone that didn't raise their hand, I know you're mad jelly right now. You're just like, oh man, I want a birthday card from Broadway. Please fill out an in-touch card and we will honor you on your birthday by sending you a card. Okay, so anyway, that's neither here nor there. As I fill out these birthday cards, on the bottom of every single one of our birthday cards is a verse from the Bible. Now, we've intentionally put this, this uh, verse on the bottom of our cards that we send out because we want to speak this out over your life. This verse is a promise, and it's a blessing. And we want to bless our congregation. We want to bless our people, not only on their birthday, but especially on their birthdays. So I want to end today's uh, message by simply speaking a, a blessing over your life from a promise of God. So to receive this blessing, would you stand with me, church? Would you stand to your feet? Uh, nothing weird is going to happen. I just want to uh, declare a blessing over your life as your pastor this morning. Would you allow me to do that? Uh, if you want to receive this blessing, would you simply put your hands out like this, like you're ready to receive something or take something, and I want to just speak this blessing out over your life as we close today. It's found in Numbers chapter 6, verse 24. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.